This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Welcome back to Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron. I'm joined by Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi, I thought I was going to open this episode by congratulating us on our one-year anniversary, but I looked up, uh, I looked into it, and I realized that next episode is our one-year anniversary, <laughs> so uh, not, not quite there, although we're very close, so um, that's an exciting thing. That's coming up. But as always, happy to be here with you, my good friend, uh, to talk some Joshi. I'm glad we didn't put the cart before the horse there because you, you just don't know what could happen in two weeks' time. Yes. <laughs> Anything could happen. Um, I think I've talked about on the show before that I'm uh, learning Japanese. And I was working on kanji recently, and one of the kanjis was for Joshi. And it really struck me, although I guess, you know, I kind of knew this. But like in Japan, if you said the word Joshi to somebody, they would it just means like a young girl, right? Uh, but I just use the word Joshi to mean Japanese women's wrestling. Just kind of funny if you think about it. Did you mention that to your te- Have you mentioned that to your teacher? Yeah, absolutely, of course. Great. <laughs> How did she react? Because I know she sometimes has different reactions to these things that you tell her about. Yeah, she was like, oh, no. She was just telling me, like, oh, yeah, in, in school, you know, like, they would use that word a lot. Like, refer to the the, the little girls or the little boys as Joshi or Danshi. Uh, but then the – so she didn't really have a funny reaction to that. But the other day I told her that it was uh, Pro Wrestling Day in Japan, apparently. And I'm trying to find the text. But she responded to tell me that she had just watched – I think it was um, an Akira Hokuto uh, documentary maybe on YouTube. Oh, did I make that? It was either Hokuto or Manami Toyota. She had just watched some sort of, I think it was Hokuto. She had just watched some sort of documentary and then, uh, or maybe she watched a match or something. And I was like, Oh, how was it? And she was like, it was scary. <laughs> it's very funny. And then she told me she watched a, I guess there's a documentary on YouTube about Yoshihiro Takayama. Oh, um, yeah, I think there might be. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, and I was like, wow, you've been watching a lot of pro wrestling content. Yeah, it was, uh, she just said, the other day I saw some uh, a video on YouTube of Akira Hokuto. So mm. I guess she decided she had already celebrated pro wrestling day enough by <laughs> listening to me talk about what the word Joshi means. <laughs> I, I told somebody else this, though, and they were like, well, yeah, like we say lucha to me in like uh, Mexican pro wrestling. But of course, that's not what lucha means to like your average Spanish speaker. Sure. Well, it's good that you're learning from her and she's learning um, from you in a way. So, you know, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, She made some comment the other day about like, I've learned so much about 
uh, pro wrestling from you. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, at least I pay her, you know, so she's, she's not just like you having to sit and talk to me for free. Okay. Uh, <laughs> follow us on Twitter where I maybe I'll talk more about uh, various language weird curiosities. That's what I'm going to go with. Uh, it's J Bomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. You can subscribe to the show, please, on the podcast app of your choice. Uh, if you just search Jumping Bomb Audio, hit subscribe. You'll get these as soon as they come out, which is usually on every other Monday. And uh, give us a five-star rating and review if you use the Apple Podcast app. We'd appreciate it. Uh, tell a friend about the show. If they like uh, Joshi, then uh, that's a, one of the best ways to uh, spread the word about the show. And if you want to donate, you can do so at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. We have a lot to talk about today, Taylor. We're going to be previewing the Stardom Nippon Budokan card. Uh, then we're going to look uh, at Stardom's Corquins from uh, last week, the 13th and the 14th. Talk Tokyo Joshi, Ice Ribbon. Uh, we'll probably dip into the AW Women's Tournament. Um, a lot more, I'm sure. We'll talk about the Assemble card that's coming up uh, over the next week. So there's a ton to talk about. I think the best place to start, Taylor, is the Stardom Budokan card. So we got the full card now. Uh, we'll dive into all the matches, but do you have kind of an overall take, Taylor, on the card as it looks now? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, um, I think it's a fun card. There weren't too many more um, matches that were added, just the tag title match and the SWA title, and then a, a few names were added to the uh, Rumble. But I think it will be a. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think the main event, which is, I believe, officially uh, Julia and Tom, is going to be excellent. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very interested to see, you know, this is sort of um, new ground, you know, being at Budokan. Uh, it's obviously they're really promoting it, um, at least in Japan with these big signs Everywhere, I'm interested to see what the setup looks like in the venue uh, to see if they really splurge on, you know, a bigger sort of more grand setup as well. So there's things even outside the matches um, that I'm sort of interested in. Um, so, yeah, I think it should be fun. Um, and and we'll talk about, you know, there's some matches I think I'm a little bit more excited than others. Um, but overall, I think it's a pretty good card. Yeah, I think it's a good card. I think it's a weirdly laid out card in that, you know, the, the main card on the show is a rumble and then five straight singles matches. That seems a little weird to me. Maybe I would have worked in a tag. Or I don't know, something just to break up the monotony a little bit of the matches. Uh, but all the matches on here are on the main card, at least. No, I think all the matches are interesting, well built, have like fun stories that I want to see how they uh, how they finish up. So yeah, hard to imagine other than, as we talked about having uh, Kyrie Hojo on this card, other than that, hard to imagine a much better card they could have put together with their, with their current roster. Yeah, I agree. Obviously with, you know, Kyrie, it would have taken it to the sort of next level. Cause that would have been a huge um, draw, but I think with the hand that they were dealt, they've certainly done a good job um, putting together some strong matches. 
And I think the most recent reporting that she was intended to be in a singles match kind of confirms your thought that this was probably going to be Utami versus Kyrie Hojo uh, on this card. Yes, although they did say that I believe it was their that was their original intent. And then when they realized that that wouldn't happen, they also, I think, threw out there that she could be in the Rumble um, as a possibility. I think that would have been a slight um, disappointment just to sort of have her as one participant in this rumble. Um, But it just looks like there was no way, there was no way of any kind that she was, was getting on the show, unfortunately, uh, which is a bummer because I know that I personally, and and a lot of people would have liked to see her. I think it would have been fun to have her back as she's such a big part of the history of the company, but it's not meant to be. So just got to move on. I mean, do we think she agreed to just be stuck forever so she could go back home? Is this contract going to expire at some point? You know, I never know because there's so many, and not just with this, you know, Kyrie story, but with so many of these WWE contract stories that come out about, you know, American wrestlers or, you know, in this case, where people are in these contracts and then it's sort of like, oh, you know, they thought that this would X, Y, Z would happen and it doesn't happen. Now, I don't know if they're, it could be the case that they're paying Kyrie very well. And so she says, hey, I'd like to work the show. And they say no. And she goes, well, okay, because I'm making a lot of money to do a relatively easy job. And maybe she says, okay, when my contract's up in X time, I don't know what that time is. Then I'll do it because for now it's worth, you know, doing what they say because they're paying me a lot of money. I don't know if that is the case. You know, it's always sort of a confusing thing where I think that WWE sometimes does hide some of these things where it's like, well, you can do that. And then the situation comes up and, the, you know, the thought changes or the permission changes and things like that. But I don't really know where Kyrie's head is at in terms of wanting to wrestle, you know, wanting to get out of whatever contract she's in with WWE. I don't know if she has any interest in that. So hard, hard to say without more information. It is indeed. Uh, but let's talk about the matches that we know are happening. The people that are going to be on this show, uh, there's going to be a, what they're calling a, a prologue show. I believe uh, what we would normally call a pre-show. It's going to be on YouTube for free on Stardom's YouTube channel. Uh, and it's going to kick off with the high-speed title match with Azumi versus Natsupoi. Yeah, this is an interesting match. I think it's been a little bit undercut by the fact that Natsupoi has been losing uh, all over the place. Seemingly in the last few weeks, she's lost twice to Saki Kashima. I think she'd lost a third match. Not a not a great sort of draw in for this match when the challenger is losing. Of course, that may very well mean that she wins uh, this match and takes the title from her. But just feels like it hasn't been. And this is the case with a couple um, of things on this card. It just feels like a lot of the challengers have not really gotten that boost to say to the audience, "Hey, this is going to be a big match, and this challenger could." could win, could, you know, get the championship, could beat the champion. Um, I think this is the, the, the match that's most guilty of that. 
because I think Natsupoy has not looked uh, very strong in the booking over the last few weeks. But I think it'll be a good match. Obviously, uh, Azumi has had some very good high-speed matches in this reign, and I'm sure that this will be another one. I'm sure everyone on this card, no matter their position in Budokan, a big show, lots of promotion, are going to be putting their best foot forward. So I'm sure the match will be great. On the other hand, I thought it was notable that Azumi got a pinfall on Sayaida on one of these Korokun shows. So uh, I think she's pretty well positioned. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, but at the end of the day, I just think this will be uh, an excellent match. I don't know that we've really gotten everything I'd hope to see out of Natsupoi so far in her in her stardom run. But this is certainly a, a good opportunity uh, with hopefully a lot of people watching to uh, make a very good impression. Yeah, and I don't know if there's, you know, obviously she was in um, Tokyo Joshi before this, and she sort of came in very heralded. Uh, People were very exciting. And I felt like for a large stretch of that run in Tokyo Joshi, it sort of was the same feeling of you had this person who's very talented, obviously, that just never seemed to get to the place where – at least I thought that she would be in the company. You know, she had those good matches with Miu, uh, but that was really her highlight. I thought that she would be, you know, holding a lot of titles, winning a lot of matches, and it never really, that never really came to be. Um, so it's a little bit of a worrying trend that she seems to be sort of in that same position here where she's come in. Uh, people were excited to have her in the company and she hasn't really, um, lived up to those expectations, but maybe this is the beginning of that, her winning the high-speed title, and maybe that really gives her the boost that she needs. And then after that, there's going to be a tag team title match. Uh, The new champions, Himika and Micah, who uh, won the titles on the 214 Korokuen by beating the Priestley and Konami, uh, are going to face another Oedo tag team of Natsuko Tora and Saki Kashba. Yeah, this is probably the match that I'm um, least looking forward to on the show. I mean, that's a tall order because there's a lot of great matches on the show. We've been over uh, sort of my disillusionment with Oedo Tai. Uh, that was sort of added to Himika and Micah won the titles at Korokin and Natsuko got in the ring and essentially cut a promo where she said, I'm never embarrassed to lose. Um Himika, you get embarrassed when you lose, but I'm never embarrassed to lose. And I just found it a extremely bizarre promo, a sort of pro wrestling promo to say, well, I, you know, when I lose, I'm not embarrassed. I would think that if you lose, you, you would always want to win a match. You know, she said, well, I'm not embarrassed because I'm here with, you know, Saki and, you know, you were embarrassed to lose with, uh, not to poise, so you switched her out with Micah. It was just sort of a strange promo that didn't really do anything to get me all that excited for this um, match. Uh, but you know, I have an open mind. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, I could see either of these teams, uh, you know, leaving with the championship. So I think that this is uh, very up in the air in terms of results, which uh, should. Should give it a little juice, but yeah, it's it's just been sort of a strange, like a lot of Oedo Tai stuff has been over the past number of months, uh, just a little bit strange for me. 
Oh, I pray to God that Himeka and Micah win this match. <laughs> I would much prefer uh, to watch their matches uh, going forward. Yeah, it's like, okay, there have been, you know, throughout time, throughout wrestling history, there have been heels who have been, I don't know, even when heels, you know, like when they cheat and do the type of stuff that, that this version of Oedo Tide does, it's to win the match. It's that, you know, this style of heel is normally like, I can't win straight up or I don't want to expend the effort to win straight up, which is a, a different thing. So I've got to do something else. And that makes sense to me. But if you don't want to win, what else is your motivation? I've never really heard that or understood that from Natsuko, like what her purpose is for existing in this universe. You know what I mean? So I just, I'm with you. I don't get it. Uh, I don't like it. Oedo Tai, even like that that tag title match on the second cork one, it's like the brand is just kind of toxic to me at this point to where the matches uh, have to really work to to earn my attention. Yeah, and I, I always think of it as, you know, I don't expect stardom to be a sort of sport-like promotion, you know, totally, you know, like shoot style or something like that. But I just think of if you were watching any other sport, and, you know, a team loses, you're watching a basketball game, a team loses, and they, you know, grab an interview with someone after the game. And they say, oh, you lost. How do you feel? And that person went, well, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, it's fine that we lost. People would, you know, people would go nuts. You know, whether they're a well-liked player that you're interviewing or not well-liked, you know, you would think the end goal for everyone in wrestling is to win. So when you sort of cut that out, it gets very hard for me to identify any reason to care. If you don't care if you win or lose, why should I care if you win or lose? Right. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and that'll be the match that people will see most trying to get them to, uh, to buy this pay-per-view. <laughs> so, Well, and as I said, you know, I think everyone is going to sort of be on their A game, top game, it being in Budokan. So the match could be very good. Um, certainly. But, you know, we could have, you know, that interference. I know they've been doing it less uh, recently, but, you know, you'd never know with these uh, matches and with some of the, you know, with B Priestley just in the Rumble, she may be out there causing uh, some trouble. Or, you know, Ruaka, who is the newest member of the group, may be out there. So we'll have to see. The 15-year-old monster. Can you believe it? truly uh <laughs> the 15 year old monster joining oh it'll die that's right truly monstrous behavior on ruaka's part okay and then the main show is going to kick off with the all-star rumble and here is the pretty long list of entrants we got b Priestley, mina shirakawa unagi sayaka starlight kid saya ida gokigen lady c Chigusa Nagayo, Kyoko Inoue, Mima Shimoda, Hiroyo Matsumoto, Emi Sakura, uh, Rin Karokora, Mei Hoshizuki, Yusuke Aikawa, Yoki, Yoki, Yoko Bido, uh, Miho Wakizawa, Hiromi Mimura, Yuna Manase, Harukaze, Koguma, and Momoe Nakanishi. So I guess the, you know, the primary question is, do you have any feel or any thoughts about who might walk away with this thing? Well, I do have to say we haven't gotten the opportunity to say this phrase that I feel like every podcast on earth in the past few weeks has said, but Aaron, 
Emmy Sakura in this rumble? Is this the opening of the forbidden door of the forbidden <laughs> Joshi door? Uh, well, I mean, it's not like uh, Tsukasa Fujimoto is in here for her to face off with. Um, I don't know. Do you? What do you think? I don't know. It's it's very. You know, I don't know why. I don't know if there's reports of what you know how this all came together. I don't know if it was stardom, you know, realizing Emmy has been at least a connection for the AEW stuff and, you know, stardom trying to sort of edge their way into that by getting her in this rumble. I don't know. Uh, It will be interesting to see if she, um, you know, really does anything Noteworthy in this rumble, I have a feeling the rumble is probably going to come down to largely current um, stardom talent. You know, I could easily see uh, B Priestley winning this um, or, you know, someone like Starlight Kid or Saeeda, you know, could win this. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I think that this is a lot of fun. I think it's a really good uh, collection of sort of current stardom talent. Um, you know, older, uh, previous generation stardom talent, and also some exciting um, out sort of outside talent with the marvelous people um, and Kyoko Inoue and Mima Shimoda, who's sort of affiliated, um, Hiroya Matsumoto, who was sort of in and out of the promotion for quite a long time. Happy to see her back. So I'm really looking forward to this. I always like these. Um, Rumble matches. I like the one that they did on No People Gate. Um, I always like the ones that uh, New Japan does for Wrestle Kingdom. I especially like them, and it's a reason why I'm looking forward to this one. When you have talent there that isn't, you know, it isn't just sort of your bottom level talent, but it's sort of people you can't see at other shows, sort of once in a while, people showing up, you know, people coming out of retirement or whatever. So I'm really looking forward to this match. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and for people who don't know all, all of the talent in the match, I think it will be a lot of fun to see them and sort of introduce themselves to a larger audience on this uh, big show. I do think the, what you're saying about the stardom AEW thing is interesting because obviously B Priestley worked stardom, uh, was signed to stardom, Jamie Hayter. So there was like a a stardom connection in some way. And, uh, you know, uh, Brandy Rhodes had previously worked stardom, but no stardom in the AW women's tournament. And uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, so I don't know what the, what the connection is currently, or if there is one. So yeah, that is interesting. As you say, of course, you know, Bushi road is, you know, there's a new Japan connection clearly happening. So uh, I don't know, but yeah, I, I don't know why Emmy's here. Obviously, she's like a she's a major player in Joshi Pro Wrestling, so it's cool that she's involved. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, Taylor. Oh boy, I, I think uh, I think Yusuke Aiko is gonna win this thing. You know, I could see that. I could see her winning and maybe coming back for you know not permanently, but coming back for six months or something to you know have sort of someone fun you know, still celebrating, obviously the entire year is, or I would think would be celebrating this 10 year anniversary of the company. So it would be fun to have her back. She did have that sort of um, 
I don't know if I just want to call it a match, sort of like a test match with Yoshiko that was on the Seedling YouTube uh, a couple months ago. So clearly she seems to be sort of getting more into the ring, not ring shape, but sort of ring worthiness, you know, shaking off the rust as it were. Um, so I, I could I could see that as well. Um, I think of all the sort of non-current stardom talent, I think her name is probably most likely. I don't know if there's anyone else you could think of in terms of people who don't regularly work stardom who could win. I don't really see any names looking at the list of names here. But yeah, it could be uh, Yusuke Aikawa. Yeah, I just think that they specifically said it was a one-night-only thing with her, which I thought was interesting, uh, just because they haven't said that about anyone else. And then there's just been a lot of... You talked about that test match. There's been a lot of social media of just like her working out in the ring. And I'm like, are you really doing all this for this one-night rumble? I just find it hard to believe. I I think she's going to win and have have a little run here, but... We'll see. Yeah, we'll be. I think it. I think the match will be will be fun. Uh, and you know, you usually get to the end and you're like, oh, so and so won. And but that's really, you know, obviously for the booking that's important. But I think for the enjoyment of the match, often who wins is not really the the sort of most important thing. It's sort of seeing people interact with each other who you've never seen interact and things like that. So, yeah, no, it's going to be fun no matter what. But that's just something I'm looking for. Uh, and then Taylor, the second match on the card, Momo Watanabe versus Nanai Takahashi. This is it, Aaron. <laughs> it's the culmination of Momo's big push that she's been receiving. <laughs> this is, uh, the, the two year story. It's, it's all come down to this. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I did a, I did a tweet about it, but yeah, there's a lot of talk about how Momo was going to win the five-star and this was all building to her versus um, Utami, I think, at this show where she would win the red belt. Um, and I think if you go back and listen to the show, you'll see that I never bought into that. Um, and she never, I mean, what, God, I did, did you see where I tweeted that I was impressed that how well she did in the Voice of Wrestling Match of the Year? And I said, even though, she didn't have a push. I said something about she didn't have a push this year. And people jumped into my mentions talking about uh, she won the tag league. Uh, duh. And she had a few title challenges. Duh. I'm like, okay, she was not pushed this year. Come on. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that, Aaron. Um, yeah, I think it was just one of those things that obviously it's almost to me like Momo is, I don't know, like as a, as a big Jungle Kiona fan, as I've talked about on the show, I've now become very um, sort of jaded with the whole Jungle thing. And of course she's injured now. So, you know, obviously nothing's happening there, but I sort of look back at the, you know, now I look back sort of like as an older person and say, oh, the Momo fans are in that sort of first steps of the jungle <laughs> process, which was a jungle would challenge for the title and she'd lose. And it would always be like, oh, the reason she lost is because they've got to set up, you know, X, Y, Z in that she's got to lose three times in her hometown because then when she wins, it'll be blah, blah, blah. 
And of course that's never happened. And I think people have largely, I mean, thought of, you know, when jungle comes back at this point, which maybe at the end of this year, maybe a little bit earlier, you know, the big question is now coming off an injury, um, you know, slightly older, obviously having been out probably for a year at that point, whether anything at all will happen. But I just see the same sort of pattern with Momo where the first step is, oh no, what's happening is she she's being pushed less, but if you just give it a minute, it'll happen, you know, in six months and then six months happens and it doesn't happen. And you're like, oh, okay, they're sort of, you know, they're waiting and then they're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. So, so yes, I sympathize. Um, I sympathize with people who are hoping. I mean, I think everyone hopes that she gets a push because she's very talented, but it just doesn't seem to uh, be in the cards at the moment. No. And, you know, she's 20 years old or whatever. So, you know, there's uh, plenty of time, I suppose. Uh, and it's like, it's uh, healthier for me if I, it's like, if you view her career instead as like as if she never had that white belt run then it kind of makes more sense you can kind of see like okay well here's this like logical progression maybe um but if you consider that she is the longest reigning or has the most defenses for a white belt champion ever i think of either belt um then it makes no fucking sense whatsoever (laughs) the way she's treated so i don't know all that said she's got this great match on this show you know, this should be excellent. I was just bummed to see it placed second on the card because uh, I worry that means it's not going to get much time uh, when I feel like it should be a more uh, more focused on a match. Yeah, I don't know how much time any of this will get. I don't know if they're going out saying, hey, this is a big show. You know, we'll give you a lot of time because it's big and we want a lot of good matches. I don't know if that's the case. Or if they're just going to run it like a usual show where the sort of earlier stuff gets probably 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, if that's the case, that would be a bummer. I certainly hope that isn't the case. And they give all five of these matches, uh, all five of the top matches, a good amount of time. Um, You know, so fingers crossed. I mean, even if it's 10 minutes, it will be good. But certainly I think in 10 minutes, it won't reach the potential that I think it's capable of, which is obviously incredible match with two of the best wrestlers in the entire scene um, with, you know, some of the backstory um, also involved in the match. So I'm still looking forward to it. I like you, I'm slightly bummed that it's at this position on the card, but you know, it's a, it's sort of a full card from here on up. So uh, tough to, tough to position these matches. That's, that's for sure. True. Uh, And Momo's, the least pushed person of anybody or she's less pushed than anybody above her on the card. So it makes sense. It's just, I was looking forward to it. Uh, I'm still looking forward to it. I'm just more guarded in case it's going to be a 10 minute match. Uh, next up the SWA title. We've got Shuri challenging Konami. This is one of the more recent matches matches announced. Uh, Shuri challenged Konami after beating Azumi uh, on uh, one of the Korokuen shows. And there's a pretty uh, compelling backstory here about when uh, Kana, a.k.a. Asuka, went to WWE. She kind of left, I mean, at least from what I've read, she kind of left Konami in the lurch. Uh, Konami was kind of lost. And Shuri was the one who who 
kind of stood up and took care of Konami during that time and kind of helped her get her career back on course uh, from my understanding of it. So you got this kind of the, the teacher trying to, uh, or yes, the student trying to overcome the teacher. Yeah. It's an interesting story. And I think that it's um, in a position on the card where you talked about that the top five matches are all singles matches. You know, I think you're going to probably have sort of a tough, you know, fight with Momo Nanai and Mayu Yoshiko is probably going to be hard hitting as well. So I think that they have an opportunity and I think they're both very good at this to do sort of a more grappling uh, submission style match and have it sort of be a change of pace where you are having five singles matches, but you know, you're not having the same type of singles matches. Then, you know, you figure Utami Saya might be more of an athletic sort of style. So you do have the opportunity. And I think Siri Konami have the ability to sort of do a match that's different than a lot of these other matches at the top of the card and still have it be very compelling and very good. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this match. I think it, it um, will be very, very good. You know, I always wonder about, you know, the SWA title comes along with all of this stuff. That's like, well, if it switches from this person to this person, who is this person going to defend against, which I think sometimes holds these matches back a bit. Um, but I still think, I still think it will be uh, a very good match. Oh yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. Because of the SWA rules, I would assume that Shuri walks away with the title. Um, but I also don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't sit around trying to figure out which members of the stardom roster are not fully Japanese, you know, so maybe there's people I don't realize that she could defend against. No idea. After that, uh, the the big, the biggest one of the two uh, stardom seedling matches and, you know, a huge match as it relates to this being the 10th anniversary of stardom. Uh, Mayu Iwatani versus Yoshiko, a match. I can't imagine many people imagined uh, that they would see in stardom. And here it is. Yeah. Match um, that we talked about. I think when the, when the show was first announced that they were doing Budokan, I think I threw out there that maybe they would have this sort of, or they should maybe have the seedling uh, involvement to sort of give the show some juice. I was still surprised when it happened. Um, I think that this will be, you know, an excellent match. I think it will also be, as we'll talk about in a second, a very hard match to follow because obviously Mayu um, is excellent. Yoshiko has been very, very good um, and, and still I think improving and getting better uh, month over month and year over year. Um, So I think this will be great. I think you have that little extra, um, you know, juice to it with the past, you know, some people, I still see some people who are like, Oh, this match shouldn't be happening. You know, at this point in the last, however many years, I think it's been shown Yoshiko has, you know, been reaccepted by the fans um, and things like that. So I'm not particularly worried about that, but I think that that whole idea of that, this all happened, I think actually sort of adds to the match um, instead of, you know, taking away from it, but this is probably, this might be the match, maybe the main event, but I think this might be the match I'm looking most forward to because I think it'll be very interesting to watch. And I think it'll be, 
you know, obviously, obviously excellent. I can't imagine Mayu on a huge stage like this, you know, having a clunker with really anyone. No, this is almost certainly, I mean, anything less than a, a match of the year level match, I think is a disappointment, to be honest. Uh, it should be great. Uh, the the red belt title match, Utami Hayashita versus Saya Kamitani in a, a very big spot for tall Saya. Yeah, I think we talked about this on the last show or maybe the show before, but we were debating what would main event. Um, you know, the main event would have been a tough spot for uh, this match. But I also think really no matter, you know, obviously it wasn't going to open the show or something. So it was going to be near the top of the card. And I think really no matter where they placed it, it was going to have a hard time um, sort of living up to the matches around it. I mean, we just talked about the previous match. We're sure will be excellent. The main event has these huge stakes. I'm sure it'll be a, a wild uh, match. It'll have, obviously, someone's going to lose and get their head shaved. So that will be a big moment of the match. So I think that they were sort of in a tough spot with this match, um, sort of trying to put it in the most favorable position possible without obviously sort of de-emphasizing their top title. Um, You know, this is a match, I think it has a, to me, it has a sort of low, low floor, high ceiling, where I could easily see them going out, you know, something doesn't go, you know, quite right, and the match sort of just never clicks. And I could also see them rising to the occasion, delivering a great match. It all comes together and we're like, whoa, they really overperformed, especially because I think that this match has not been, I don't think people have been super down on the match, but I think people see this match and they say, okay, of the sort of five top matches, this is the one that is least assured to be an excellent match. And so maybe it will become, maybe that will help them where sort of the lower expectations as compared to some of these other matches that have very high expectations, they can take those low expectations and over deliver as opposed to having very, very high expectations and maybe slightly undering under deliver. Um, so it'll be an interesting match to see, as you said, it's a, um, it's a huge spot for Saya who has not been really anywhere near this type of spot. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Maybe it's a case where she gets thrown to the wolves and she delivers, and that's the big moment. And then all of a sudden they have this new player who's had a huge moment on a big stage, and that's a huge boon for them. Or it could be a thing where it doesn't go that way and you know everyone says, oh, she wasn't ready, and maybe that hurts her long term. Um, but sort of the most interesting of I think of the top five matches in terms of outside of the is will it be a good match is sort of how it affects the company going forward into the future. Yeah, I think that's a fair way of putting it. I'm not expecting this match to deliver. I think Saya has had some rough spots in some of her bigger matches. And I think Utami, when you see her having to go out there with someone who is below her level, I think she struggles to pull them up to having a really great match. I don't think we've really seen that from her. So, and and I'm a huge Utami fan. I think she's great. I just think 
you know, people forget how young she is in her career. I know she's older, but she hasn't been wrestling that long. Um, she came in with right around the same time as Saida, right? So, you know, it's not surprising that she's not able to just pull anybody along to a very great match. Uh, so I think we should still give her plenty of rope on that, but I haven't seen it yet. So um, I'm definitely going to be someone with low expectations and, you know, I'm hopeful that it will easily exceed those and it'll be great. Uh, but I am glad that they decided to uh, put the white belt match as the main event, uh, Julia versus Tom Nakano in a hair versus hair match. I just, there's no way Tommy and Saya could have, it would have been so hard to come out and, and perform after, uh, you know, what should be a very emotional match between these two with, uh, you know, the climax of uh, somebody getting their damn head shaved. So um, who's walking out of here? Bald, Taylor. Yeah, it's interesting. And actually, I saw someone say they said, you know, everyone should have known the minute that this was declared as a hair versus hair match that big Lucha fan, uh, Rossi Ogawa, would never put this anywhere except for the main event. So, you know, the clear main event, you know, that's with hair versus hair match, the thought is always that the person who loses their hair actually gets maybe slightly more of a sort of bump than the person who even wins the match. Um, I think personally that, you know, Julia has had this successful reign with the title. She's done very well. She's become sort of another star for this company. She did very well in the end of the year awards uh, all over the place. And so I think Tom is going to win this. I think Julia um, loses the title, loses her hair. Um, that's sort of her big moment. She'll probably have some time um, in the next few months in terms of, oh, I've lost my hair, and that will be the story and rebuilding. And then I think the next step in the Julia path will be leading towards the red belt. Um, I think now you can say she had a good reign with the white belt. She's done very well. It really helped her out. Now this is a way to get the title off of her in a way that's still – I think helps her to put her in this big situation to have a big match. You know, I think this match is going to be wild. I think they're going to pull out all the stops. Um, I have no doubt I've enjoyed as people, you know, some people have said, Oh, we don't like this hair versus hair stipulation that Julia has come out and essentially said, well, I don't really care uh, that you don't like it. And so I think that they are not going to hold anything back. Uh, but I think Tom wins. It gets her the big win that hopefully gives her um, sort of one of the last boosts that she needs to get that she needs to get up the card, and it frees Julia uh, to move on to sort of phase, I guess, phase three at this point of her stardom rise up the company. Wow, I think that has to be the the unpopular take here. I think you're going against consensus. Well. I have I have often we have often with stardom <laughs> gone against consensus uh, on this podcast, but you know, you know I may be wrong, but I just think to me, if you think of it the other way, okay, Julia wins, she still has the white belt, and then you, you know, I think eventually the end plan is Utami Julia. I think somewhere down the road, I don't know if that's in a couple months, if it's in a year whatever it is. But I think 
obviously the longer Julia has the white belt, the longer it is until you can start that story. And I just don't see a world in which Julia wins this match, a big hair versus hair, and then comes back next month and loses to, I don't know, someone in just sort of a standard match at like a Corican Hall. And it's like, well, you lost the title. And also I think that winning the match is the boost that Tom needs. And I think Tom is sort of circling around that sort of waiting for the final boost up. She has her own uh, faction now. And so I think that that would be, then she would be the white belt title. Finally sort of get that big win in this feud that's been going on for many months. Um, where Tom has not been able to get that win. So I think it would just satisfy a lot of things that have been, you know, up in the air for stardom. I think you're right that it is, it's the most effective finish in that you boost Tom. Um, It frankly would feel a little cruel at this point. Like Tom never gets the big win. And now she also gets her head shaved, you know, um, for Julia, I also see what you're saying. She ends up coming out the focus of the match, right? Because then we watch her like climb back up uh, from this like humiliating event where she got her head shaved. Um, but you can't discount that like it's very important in stardom if you are pretty, <laughs> you know. And I, Julia, obviously would uh, still be very pretty without any hair, but. Are they going to put her on the front of uh, World Pro Wrestling if if she doesn't have hair? You know what I mean? Like, I think that's and they're trying to sell eight by tens and et cetera. I think that's important in stardom. And she's obviously the biggest star in the company. So that's the thing that gives me pause about them doing the right thing story wise. Yeah, I just think about if Tom loses her hair, then what's the next what what's step number so that would be sort of step number one or whatever what is the next step with tom where you go okay you you tried to win multiple times you lost and now you lost your hair and i just don't know where they would go from there if that's the if that's the path yeah no you're right uh i did notice recently that julia seems to have like trimmed her hair whereas it seemed like she was growing it out for a long time so uh at least that's not uh, standing in the way, I suppose. But uh, and like, what does Julia gain from like this big image of her standing over Tom and shaving her head? Like, it's not like we view Julia as a big monster, right? Or that we need her to have this like really awful moment where then we really want to see somebody conquer her. You know, she doesn't really need that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. You've talked me into it. I don't know. I'm very persuasive. You are. Uh, are. It's a a, a good argument. I guess the last thing we should talk about is how to watch the show. Oh, yeah. We haven't mentioned that yet. Um, So, frankly, uh, it's still not entirely clear how to watch the show. I did do a – I had a a tweet, um, I think, last week about that stardom is the only – major Joshi promotion to not have live streamed a single of their 2021 events. Mere minutes after I tweeted that it was announced that this show would 
uh, stream or air live on Samurai as it was happening. Um, Samurai, the uh, Japanese TV channel. If you want to go that route, there are um, providers where you can purchase um, Japanese TV accounts to watch those. Those are around. Um, then they had this press conference about the show where they announced that the show would be on pay-per-view. It originally appeared that it would be available internationally as well. Then there was some confusion. Um, it appears that it will be available internationally, although that hasn't been indicated by the English stardom account. I don't think anywhere. Um, it would be a Japanese um, broadcast. They have um, Milano Collection AT. Uh, Hokuto is also in the commentary booth for that one. Um, so it's still not entirely clear what that is. It may end up being that the cheaper option in terms of payment is to get one of those Japanese TV accounts. Uh, so I'm glad that there are ways to see it. Um, not entirely uh, impressed that there's really been no push on the English side to give people this information, to offer them um, ways to watch this in the way that I'm thinking of the way that, you know, when Tokyo Joshi has a Korokin, they are tweeting every hour, <laughs> seemingly. Hey, you want to see the show? It's available here. You can watch it. Here's the card, blah, blah, blah. And it just doesn't seem like um, that is sort of stuff is coming from the stardom side. Um, but at least I'm happy to know that there are ways to watch it. We won't have to wait um, for the uploads like we did for these Korokin shows that just happened, which took about three or four days. Um, to be uploaded uh, complete, which was quite a uh, long wait. Indeed. Uh, the Just to close out, the Budokan show, of course, is on March 3rd, and we will talk about it. Uh, we'll review it on the next episode. On these Korokin shows, I think we, we've talked about the big results from the shows. Um, I'm not sure at this point that it's worth like going match by match through these. Is there anything that you particularly wanted to talk about for these shows? There is something I particularly wanted to talk about, which is a match on the uh, first day on the 13th, February 13th, B. Priestley versus Saya Kamatani. <laughs> I know going where this is going. <laughs> to a time limit draw. Now, <laughs> let's just talk about, this, first of all, this match specifically. What is the point? You have Saya Kamatani. Her whole story seems to be, you know, she talked about this at the press conference. I'm being underestimated. I'm, you know, not being thought that I could win. Utami's, you know, not thinking of me as a contender for her title, a serious contender. Don't you think you would have Saya Kamatani come out here and beat B. Priestley and say, look, this is a former champion and I beat her. And then the next night they did it correctly where, they had Saya Kamatani pin Utami. And then she said, look, I pinned you and I can do it again. But what is the point of having a time limit draw? I guess the argument could be, well, B. Priestley had a title match the next night. So you don't want to make her look weak going into the title match. But they lost the title match. That could be part of the story. Oh, I lost to Saya. That threw me off my game. And then we lost, you know, the tag titles. And maybe she comes back. She is 
I think one of the stronger contenders for the rumble, maybe she wins the rumble and she says, ah, I'm back on track or something. And it's part of the larger point of these time limit draws, which we've talked about before. I did look it up. There have been 16 stardom shows in 2021, and there have been eight time limit draws across 16 shows. And I just looked up for comparison, another Bushiroad company, New Japan. New Japan had 144 events last year and had three time limit draws. So think about, and the thing that bugs me, it's like you can use a time limit draw very well. You can use it, for example, in that double title match, the Siri Julia title match. You know, you build a big match, they go to a time limit draw and you say, wow, they're both really fierce competitors. But so much of this time limit, of these time limit draws that they do, just feels like they can't pull the trigger on having anyone lose. And so they just have them go out there and say, well, just go to a time limit draw. The time limit draws in this scenario, like the Saya B match, they don't help either person. The match just ends and you go, well, that was 15 minutes and neither of them could win. So, uh, okay, moving on. And then you just sort of move on to the next match. They're not being used for anything. They're just being used as a way to sort of kick the can down the road to say, well, we don't want anyone in this match to lose. Um, so we'll just, we'll just have them go to a time limit draw and we'll figure it out later. It just seems like we talk so much about, you know, Aaron's mentioned, I've mentioned this sort of mid card grouping of people who all seem sort of stuck in this web of, you know, slightly going up, slightly going down, you know, you get a title match, you move slightly up and then you move slightly down, but you're all sort of in the middle. And, you know, I've talked with some people who, who don't agree with that point and have said, well, what do you expect them to do? And I think one of the things that's hurting them is that these matches, these time limit draw matches are essentially nothing. The match ends and you go, well, no one's been helped by that match. Wouldn't it be great? Sai Kamatani comes out, beats B Priestley, says, I knew I could do this. You're underestimating me. I beat her, comes in the next night, beats Utami. And then all of a sudden, she's got all this momentum going towards Budokan, a big show and a match that, as we talked about, people have been more down on than the other matches because Saya is so new. You know, Utami's still fairly relatively new. You got to give people these wins to help them out. And it just drives me nuts that this company so sort of depends on time limit draws to avoid having to sort of make a definitive decision on some of these people on the roster. And it's just, it's just sort of wild to me. And it's a, another thing where on the show last night, they had a show on the 21st. There were two time limit draws on one show. And I just think as a person going to shows, if I'm there live, I'm paying for a ticket that's $50, let's just say. I want to see people win. I don't want to go to a show that's six matches and see two time limit draws. And I just think after a while, you may develop a system where people look at a match that's upcoming and you say, wow, that looks like a really good match. And then the first thought in your mind is, 
oh, it's a really good match, but actually they'll probably go to a time limit draw because that's what they always do with these sort of exciting matches. Then you create a system where people look at good matches that you've built and don't go to the show, don't watch the show because they think that you will just go to a time limit draw and it won't matter. I just think it's so counterintuitive to building stronger wrestlers, even though you think, well, it matches with decisions. One team has to lose. People can handle, most wrestlers can handle losing some matches. You know, even the top wrestlers in the world lose some matches sometimes, and that's what happens. You're not talking about a roster full of people who can never lose or people will go, oh, these people are jokes. That's not the case. And so I just hope that stardom can start to sort of build cards, build programs, build title matches without leaning on this idea of everyone is equal and no one can lose to anyone and no one can beat anyone. You're totally right. I, mean, I can't remember which match it was now, but there was some big match not too long ago where I was excited for it. And then I remember just DMing you. I'd be like, oh, this is going to a draw, isn't it? <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, actually, it probably is. And then it's like, oh, well, now I don't care to watch this match at all. And then I think it did go to a draw. It did. I mean, I, it might have been that Shuri Julia match. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, whatever it was, we kind of like sussed out it was going to be a draw. And then it's like, well, fuck, now I'm going to sit through this 20 or 30 minute match, whatever it is, knowing nobody's going to win. It just kind of sucks all the fun out of it. Yeah, so that's my um, go on uh, draws. You know, the other, I, I thought these shows were fine. I think that, you know, the title matches, um, at least on the first show, I think the work was good. I think that they were badly hurt by that it was fairly obvious. The result, I don't think there was really any doubt that Shuri and Julia would lose. So I think that that sort of hurt um, those matches. So I think overall they were good, but I don't know that there's anything I would recommend going out of your way to see, except maybe the title change on the second night, because obviously that's a title change and it has some sort of story implications. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. 
But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah, also the the Mayu versus Unagi match was very funny. So if you just want to laugh, um, Mayu just like, I mean, before the match at her promo is like, I don't really care about this, so I want it to be over quickly. And then that's exactly how she wrestled it. She just did not care. I don't know where this goes. <laughs> Because basically, Mayu was like, this person isn't serious, and then beat her very easily, <laughs> which seems like not how you want to build somebody up. Uh, but it was funny. Yeah, and I liked the marvelous uh, inclusion. I think my favorite match of either night was the uh, Azumi May Hoshizuki tag. Um, that was a team we hit, both Aaron and I were looking forward to, and I think that they did really well. I think it was a fast paced, fun match. Um, but yeah, so overall, you know, good shows. I think I wish they were a little bit hotter considering they were sort of the big, the last big moment before these Budokan shows. But, but you know, certainly not bad shows. Okay, let's move on to uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro's Korokan show from February 11th. Um, I don't think we should probably go match by match on this one either. But do you have uh, any big takeaways from the card? Yeah, my big takeaway was I thought that this was a really strong show. I don't think it had quite the heights of, you know, Russell, obviously Russell Princess with, with that great match or the 1-4 the, uh, show. I don't think there was any match that sort of met the top matches of that. But I thought almost the entire show was very good. Um, I had multiple matches sort of in that you know, three and three quarter, four star range, really up the entire card. Um, starting from, you know, the third match, the Magical Sugar Rabbits against Arisa Endo and Suzume, which I thought was really good. I thought it was a really fun match. Um, I thought that the the title matches uh, were all fun. I liked the uh, Yuki Mirai Mayumi uh, match. Um I was interested to see multiple matches on this show that had some uh, limb uh, work, limb selling and things like that, which was, which was fun to see. So overall, I think a really uh, strong card and really a good show of, you know, obviously they've had a number of, of wrestlers near the top of the card that have always been very talented. You know, the Yukas and the uh, Shoko Nakajimas and, and people like that. But I think that this, card was a really good showcase of 
how strong their really entire roster has gotten that they really can put on a number of matches in a show that are all going to be very strong, even ones near the beginning of the card that don't have big stakes or big long storylines and things like that. So really a good uh, showcase for Tokyo Joshi and another show, sort of another feather in their cap for what's been a very strong 2021 um, and really a very strong number of months from the end of 20 into 2021. Yeah, I know. Like even we talked about when they were letting some of these people go or whatever was happening or people were going to stardom instead. It's like, oh, they're kind of letting some of the people in the middle of this company leave, uh, which it's not as deep of a company. And then now you look at it and it has made them, I think, kind of push some more people like Camille uh, getting a little bit of a push here. Uh, Mirai Mayumi kind of, uh, coming up for sure. And then it's like, wait, this is maybe like pure in-ring wrestling wise. I don't know. Maybe the deepest Tokyo Joshi Pro has been like this card, as you said. And, you know, you got your first two show, your first two matches, which are like fun undercard matches. And then once you get to that third match, you have a card that's built well enough that Mizuki, <clears throat> excuse me, and Yuka Sakazaki can be in the third match. And there's still like a great card left to happen the rest of the show. Like, I think Tokyo Joshi has, frankly, for me, uh, surpassed stardom on like the shows that I look forward to most uh, because these cards just feel uh, deeper, more consequential, uh, more interesting, even if like your baseline wrestling uh, maybe is still stronger in stardom. Uh, these shows have just started to be not just fun. It was always fun. Like you turn on a Tokyo Joshi show and it's like, oh, great. You know, I know I'm not going to waste my time spending two and a half hours on this or whatever. But now it's like fun. And also you're going to see some very good matches. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think up to this point, and obviously Stardom has the big show coming up. I, I think in ring wise, I think that Tokyo Joshi in terms of at least at the top end, has had a stronger year um, than stardom. Now, of course, stardom, a lot of it seemingly has been sort of aimed at this big Budokan show, which I'm sure will deliver a number of really excellent matches. But I just think, even if you would have said that a year ago uh, to a lot of people to say, you know, Tokyo Joshi will have this great in-ring, up and down the card, great in-ring work. I mean, I know on this very podcast, a number of months ago, we were talking about, you know, Tokyo Joshi, it's not quite clicking. And we were talking about the fact that they don't really have a lot of heels and it's sort of a different style of wrestling to some other uh, promotions. But I think that, you know, they sort of lost some people And sometimes when that happens, you know, you're sort of forced into getting creative, using people you might not have used in other situations if those people were still there. Sort of you get backed in the corner. When you get backed in the corner, your sort of best stuff comes out. Um, And I think that's that's what's happened with Tokyo Joshi. I mean, I think that they also have, you know, Ariso Endo, I think has been really great. I think she looked really great in this match on this show you know, I think is at a higher level starting out um, in terms of sort of your first few matches than a lot of other Tokyo Joshi rookies have been. 
Um, I think she more than held her own in the match. It wasn't just like, oh, there's three very talented people and you just have to sort of come in and don't, you know, screw up too badly. I think that she more than held up her end of it. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, Mirai Mayumi, I really liked that title match with Yuki. I think she's someone, every time I see her, the uh, her offense gets a little bit better. You're seeing the improvements. I think that she's going to continue to get better, and she's going to be really, really good. And I think that Tokyo Joshi and, you know, Tokyo Joshi, DDT sees that she was on that DDT show on the 14th in a fun match um, there. So that was a great opportunity for her. So I think people, not just us, not just me, are seeing the improvements she's making, and it's getting her more opportunities to shine. It's also noteworthy that this Tokyo Joshi run is happening with Miyu Yamashita not being focused on really whatsoever. You know, she's kind of, she's down here in this uh, fourth match from the bottom uh, with, you know, Maki Ito, who's also improved a lot in ring over the past year or so. And then this new act with uh, Mason Michelle and Saki Sama that I think has also been a big help in strengthening these cards. Um, but, you know, they put together this, this show. Uh, that I liked a lot, and I would have been hard-pressed to imagine they could put together a show that I would really love uh, and that I would particularly really love the title match when it was Rika Tatsumi versus Miyu Watanabe, uh, two people who I would not have expected to be able to go 18 minutes and have as compelling of a match as they did. I was pretty skeptical that this could be like a a normal, like, Korokuen main event, but to me, they did it. They had... Uh, the pacing down, uh, they did, you know, the the leg work and, and Miyu sold the leg. Uh, she couldn't be thrown across the uh, the ring. If you've listened to me long enough, you know that I really go crazy for somebody not being able to complete a move because they're selling. <laughs> I just love that. And uh, I don't know. I know you weren't as high on this match, but I really thought it was excellent. Yeah, I thought it was a good match. I was not as high. Um but I still thought it was very a very solid match. And I think the other exciting thing is you look at some of these people who are delivering. You know, you're saying, oh, the shows are very good. They are very good. But you look at a lot of the people who are delivering the good matches, the matches you're enjoying, and they are people who still have a lot of room for improvement, which is exciting. I mean, you're talking about Miyu Watanabe is probably still going to continue to get better. Mirai Mayumi we just talked about. You know, Mesa Michelle is probably going to get better. Maki Ito is getting better. So it's not only the case that they're giving good matches, but you look at it and you say, well, they're giving good matches, and this might not even be the finished product yet. You know, obviously, Arisa Endo is only a few matches into her career. She's probably going to get better. You know, Suzume is getting better. So that, to me, is also exciting that I'm enjoying these shows, but also saying, you know, we're sort of on the upswing here with a lot of these people, which I think is really fun. And it opens the door to, you know, it's it's not like you're burning all of your matches. You're like, okay, everyone's sort of where they are and we're going to burn the matches. And then in six months, you know, everyone will be in the same spot and we might be out of matches to do. They're going to have a lot of opportunities to mix and match these people as they improve and, you know, do different things into different matches, you know, into different tag teams and things like that, that makes the future really exciting for this company. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and they've got the the tag tournament going on now that we'll talk about later in the show. Um, I kind of think, I mean, I hate to do a 
uh, production meeting on the air, but I kind of think that was a fun way to talk about that show. So maybe we should talk about uh, Ice Ribbons Corcoran show from uh, February 20th in a similar way. Uh, what were your overall big takeaways from this Ice Ribbon show? Well, my first takeaway having really nothing to do with the in-ring stuff on the show is that this uh, streamed live on uh, kips.fun, uh, which is a website I had never heard of, but I've heard, I've learned about many. I've, I feel like over the past year, I've learned about many sort of strange <laughs> Japanese websites that I've never heard of um, that have gotten these streaming. But I really have to say the show streaming, it was very easy to purchase the show. It was very easy to stream the show and the quality was very good. You know, Nico the Nico Pro account was going out and saying, hey, they're streaming on kips.fun and the quality is going to be better than Nico, uh, which I was sort of surprised <laughs> to see the own account sort of saying, go over here because the quality will be better. I don't know if they had some sort of deal with, you know, monetary deal or something like that, but the quality was very good. They had commentary for the whole show. It was a really um, great and easy way to see the show. So if you've been sort of um, scared off by the Nico system, which I know can be sort of overwhelming for new people in terms of you have to go and you have to buy credits and then you use the credits to purchase the shows and it's not entirely clear. This system was really easy um, to use to see the show. I think the show is going to be up on demand at least through the beginning of March. Um but as to the show itself, I thought it was a strong. Um, I thought it was a strong show. There were a number of matches I really quite enjoyed. There were some matches that um, slightly sort of under delivered on my expectations a little bit. But overall, I think it was a very um, good show that built well. Um, I even liked, you know, the Suzu Suzuki, the first hardcore match in her seven match series against Yuka Miyamoto. I thought it was a good match. You know, I had sort of big expectations going in that weren't exactly met, but I think that it's clear um, from watching this match that it's sort of going to be the first step in this sort of journey for Suzu Suzuki in these hardcore matches. So obviously you don't want to start a seven match series out a hardcore match, you know, doing all this crazy stuff. They sort of kept it, um, sort of not simple, but sort of simple, hardcore, you know, they had chairs, they had bells at one point, they had uh, a ladder. Um, I, I liked the Fantast Ice title match, although I found that with a lot of these sort of matches, um, that these Risa Fantast Ice sort of more hardcore matches sort of start out a little slowly for me um, in terms of the action and then sort of build up to the finish that I get really invested in. This one didn't quite have the um, build at the very end, although Itsuki Aoki took two very hard uh, chair shots directly to the head where the chair, I think, was supposed to pop out, and it did not. Um, and then the top two matches I thought were both excellent. I went four stars on both. Uh, the Rebel and Enemy uh, joint army Tag match I thought was really good, as I've talked about on the show before. I really like Joint Army. I think they're a cool sort of – they're different than a lot of other things that are happening, not only in Ice Ribbon, but in all of Joshi Wrestling, uh, to see them out in their geese, sort of doing a more grappling style, you know, transitioning out of moves, 
you know, doing pins. And then when the person kicks out, you grab an arm bar or something like that. I thought that was great. And then the, uh, the infinity title match I thought was really good. I thought they went fast. It was only 17 minutes. You know, it wasn't sort of the epic uh, match that the Fujimoto Suzuki match was, which is a match I really loved. And we unfortunately didn't get a chance to talk about on the show just because of when it aired but I thought that that was a match worth checking out. And this match was very good. I went four stars. Uh, You know, Fujimoto is already in February, I think, sort of a clubhouse leader in terms of wrestler of the year, in terms of the number of matches she's had that have really delivered for me. Yeah, I also uh, really liked the show. The quality was nice. My only, my production gripe is that they did a lot of cuts and they did the dumb WWE thing where they would cut on impact on moves sometimes. Did you notice this? Yes, although I noticed it less. I actually noticed it a lot on the, and we'll talk about that in a second, the AEW women's um, tournament show. I noticed a lot. I thought that was over. So I think maybe this was slightly less. So I noticed it a little bit less. But yeah, that is a pet peeve of mine is sort of that cutting on impact. Cause I think it, I think in people's minds, they think it's effective, but I think it actually is the opposite where it takes away from the impact of a lot of moves. Yeah. And it just gives me a headache, really all the cuts, like, uh, just do the wide, do the wide angle. And then like on particularly important things, you know, zoom in or whatever, but, or, you know, give me an angle from the side, depending on how they're set up or whatever. But anyway, um, yeah, the, I mean, the one match that you didn't talk about that I really enjoyed was the uh, Thekla and Yuki, Yuki Mashiro versus Taihanma and Tsukushi match. Um, it was just like, I don't know, a lot of fun. Uh, Mashiro is like green in the ring, but already has great charisma and like a, a really advanced understanding of the performance aspect of wrestling. Uh, and then they just like had this goofiness about the Tsukushi t-shirts, which was fun. Uh, you got Tai Hanma just walking around with a Gucci bag. You know, it's just there's a lot of fun here. I just enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, and they set up the uh, Tekla versus Tsukushi match for the IWGQ title, uh, which I'm sure we'll mention in the upcoming shows section. Um, yeah, the the hardcore match. I just think it was tough to do like two hardcore matches on a show like this where a lot of the types of things they were doing were similar. You know, they did some different things, but they were ultimately pretty similar. Um, but you had some really good bumps in the in the hardcore match with uh, Miyamoto and Suzuki. Um, the As far as the Fantastice match, yeah, you don't see a lot of unprotected chair shots anymore, so it's always like, holy shit, <laughs> you know? Whoa. Um, also, I, I really just uh, feel bad for uh, Risa Sarah's knees because she just I've noticed in these matches, she loves to drive her knees into chairs and ladders. I wouldn't suggest doing that personally, if it were me. Um, and yeah, the the Ice Infinity title match uh, was excellent. That the way that Fujimoto uses her body creatively is always um innovative it's always unique just stuff that you don't really see from other people it certainly helps in a match with somebody like 
uh, Yamashita, who's very strong. So she can kind of base for uh, Tsuka in a, in a very nice way. But there was like the, even the flash pan that ended the match, it was like very cool. The way that she kind of spun around and, you know, as I said, Yamashita was an important part of that, but the way she was able to do it, uh, I thought was uh, very impressive. And that's something that she does in basically every match, but kind of, even like, it doesn't, no matter how much I watch her, I'm still impressed with it every time. Yeah, I mean, I think that she's been excellent for a number of years, and I think she's one of sort of a grouping of uh, Joshi wrestlers that I think in the larger sort of picture of the entire um, you know world of Joshi and the history of Joshi and really the, in all of wrestling gets very underrated and sort of forgotten about because she's been coming out for so long and sort of giving – you know, having great matches, delivering on a high level for so many years that I think if if people who aren't are less familiar with her or aren't familiar with her really looked back, had a chance to look back at some of her sort of higher end stuff throughout her whole career, I think a lot of people would be surprised to find out how much there is of her sort of delivering on this high level for so long. Um, so I'm happy to see her get the title. You know, I'm interested in this. You know, I'm glad that, you know, Suzu loses the title, but immediately goes into this sort of new story that they don't just say, okay, you lost the title. You know, you're going to the bottom of the card or something. She loses the title and she immediately gets into this sort of story of these hardcore matches. So I think it helps both of them in a way um, after the uh, Infinity title match uh, Maya Yukihi came out and challenged uh, Fujimoto for the next Cork and Hall show, which is on March 27th. That should, of course, be another excellent match. So really just lining up between the best friends stuff in Seedling and the single stuff here, just a really strong uh, couple of months for her. All right, let's head over into our Spark Notes section. And uh, briefly, we'll talk about the AW Women's Tournament, at least the Japanese side of the bracket. Uh, in the first round, we had Yuka Sakazaki beating Mei Suruga, Emi Sakura beating Veni, Leo Mizunami uh, defeating Maki Ito, and Asha Kong defeating Rin Katakura. Um, any uh, big surprises here for you, Taylor? I don't know if there were any uh, surprise results. You know, obviously I was pulling for Veni, uh, as I've talked about on the show, but it makes sense. I mean, you look at the four winners, they're all people who have been in AEW, at least one AEW match before, uh, and the four people who lost have not been. So that makes sense. I thought it was very good. I thought Excalibur did an excellent job with the commentary. Um seemed very informed, very researched about who these people were, where they were from. You know, they have that original sort of announcement of the matches uh, with Tony Schiavone, which um, had some issues to it, seemed to be very much a thing where someone just sort of Googled very quickly and threw something together. But Excalibur seemed very well researched. And I thought that they came off, um, I thought it came off very well. I saw a lot of positive uh, feedback to the show, people saying, oh, I've never seen so-and-so, I've never seen Veni, I've never seen Rin Katakura, and I'm more interested in these people. So really that's um, what you hope for when you put something like this together for people to watch it 
and find people they're interested in and hope to see again. Absolutely. Uh, the Emmy soccer of any match was my favorite of these four. I thought it was excellent. I went four and a quarter on it. Uh, this was Emmy. I, I don't think Emmy like showed her best when she was in AEW. And this was like, okay, this is the kind of match I want to see uh, out of Emmy. Uh, Vinny also is obviously um, excellent. So uh, that was definitely my favorite of the four, but I thought they all had, they all had things that I liked. Um, but that was easily the best for me. Yeah, and I think on her first AEW run, I think Emi Sakura at times sort of got lost in the um, Freddie Mercury Queen sort of tribute thing where it it at times sort of dominated her wrestling, which is very good. And I thought that this time she came out and she was more sort of the traditional Emmy straightforward. You know, she did, I think, the clap, clap stomp at one point. Um, but that was really it. It was a much more sort of straightforward Emmy Sakura, who I think is one of the best uh, Joshi wrestlers around. And being matchup with Venny, um, who is also great. That was also my favorite match. I was slightly below you. I went four stars. Um, but really a good match. And that's the sort of Emmy Sakura I hope to see more of in AEW going forward because I think that her wrestling is good enough to sort of connect her with the audience and get her over more than just being like, okay, this is going to be a person who is like a queen um, impersonator. <laughs> Man, I so badly wanted to see Yuka versus Venny though. So it was uh, a heartbreaker for me just on that. But uh, let's, since we're already talking about this, Yuka versus Emmy and um, Mizunami versus Aja Kong. What, who you got? What are your thoughts? So I think that, I think that the final is going to be Yuka and Ryo. Now, I'm more confident on Ryo Mizunami. I think that of all the people in this tournament, she seems like the person who Aja Kong would probably be like, sure, she can beat me. Um, you know, the most, it would be a good um, sort of win for Mizunami to say, hi, beat Aja Kong. You know, we have talked about there's been AEW interest there for a while. You know, even before all the COVID stuff happened, there was talk that she was going to come over to AEW. So obviously she is on their radar. Um, you know, I think Yuka will win because she's been sort of the more pushed commodity in AEW, um, at least recently, you know, a year ago, whenever they were last over. But I could see Emmy winning, but I think that Ryo Mizunami um, is going to win the side. I think she's going to come out of there. And I, as we talked about when we first previewed the tournament, I think she will come over and probably stay for a while um, in the stage. She has that capability as a freelancer. And as we talked about, we have the feeling that the person who comes over doesn't just want to come over for a week and then go back that they would come over for quite a long time. And it feels to me like Ryu Mizunami is the one person who would be capable of doing that. It's interesting. Um, I don't what know. Do you... I just, I've just been assuming that it's going to be Yuka versus Aja Kong and Yuka will win. But yeah, I'm I just don't know if, if I don't know if Aja Kong would be like, sure. I'll lose to Yuka Sak 
Sakazaki just because she has so few. I mean, you look at Aja's record in the last five years, she has very few singles losses and even less singles losses in sort of non-title matches. And you look at the people who's who have beaten her, you know, Seri, Chihiro Hashimoto, you're talking about sort of the big hitters of the more independent Joshi world. And I think she has a connection with Mizunami. They've worked on many, many shows before. And so it just seems more likely to me personally that Aja would say, sure, I'll lose to Mizunami. Give Mizunami that big boost of saying, I beat Aja. Look, I beat Aja Kong. Um, Instead of having her lose, because then when does she come over? She comes over sort of as a second round out. You know, she comes into AEW. Yeah, she was in the tournament. She lost in the second round. Just, I don't know. Doesn't seem like a big draw to me when she would eventually come over to the AEW uh, roster. That's fair. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think these next matches are on Monday night. Um, and so uh, I'll be I'll be talking about those over on the uh, Everything Elite Patreon if you're interested. Uh, but let's get into what else has been going on over the past couple of weeks uh, in Joshi, Taylor. Yeah, so Stardom, as I mentioned, did have two shows on the 20th and 21st. The big moment of that, Ruaka turning on stars and joining Oedo Tai, um, which is interesting. Um, and then and then on the on those shows as well, Sai Ida defended the future of Stardom title successfully against Honori Hana from Seedling. Um, I'm looking forward to checking that match out. I haven't seen it. They did upload the 220 show, but there are audio issues um, with that show. The audio and the picture are out of sync. Um, so I have not watched that show yet. Hopefully they'll be able to fix that because that match is a match that I was really looking forward to. Um, this seems like so much has been going on, Aaron. Uh, Seedling had a show on February 10th where they had the big Seedling stardom tag match, uh, Arisa and Nanai versus uh, Momo and Saeeda, a match that I thought was really great. I thought Saeeda looked really, really good. Um, Arisa looked good. I thought the whole match was very good. I went four and a quarter star. I thought that Nanai and Momo might have been um, maybe holding a little bit back naturally for their big Budokan match. Um, but overall, a match I really enjoyed. I thought it was a lot of fun. And as I said, I thought Saida just looked like a million bucks, taking a lot of punishment, um, showing a lot of charisma. Aaron, you watched that as well. What did you think of that tag match? I loved it. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. I, I said it was at least four and a quarter. <laughs> that was my rating. Uh, I'm not sure. I apparently didn't have the guts to go four and a half, but at least four and a quarter. Uh, what you said about Ida, I, yeah, I do think Ida came out as like really proving herself in the match. I'm not sure she's ever gotten her ass kicked quite like she did here. Um, it was a lot of fun watching Arisa just completely no sell Ida's forearms and most of her offense generally. Uh, but they put together like a really cool match of just kind of beating the shit out of uh, Ida and Momo early on, but then you know, they got a nice comeback before they ultimately lost. You know, Momo proved i think again that she's one of the best in the world you know she she didn't stand out in a in a negative way it's like oh yeah she belongs in here with uh, arisa and Nanai. 
Um, and Ida showed she belonged too in a different way, of course, but she didn't look out of, out of, um, what's the word I want? Out of whatever place out of sorts out, out of place of... out of place okay. she did not look out of place in the match so i i thought it was great i loved it yes uh tokyo joshi also had the first two uh shows of their tag tournament uh so the final uh the final three matches the semifinals and finals will take place on their uh march 6th show uh the two semifinal matches will be neo bishikigun uh, against Hikari Noah and Sena Shiori, and uh, Miyu Yamashita and Maki Ito against Shoko Nakajima and Hyper Masao. Um, so that should be good. Those 220 and 221 shows, um, nothing to go out of your way for, but both really fun shows, very quick. You could probably get through both of them in less than three hours. Um, they're very quick shows, very short shows, but a lot of fun. Uh, get to see a lot of fun matchups, so uh, we're checking out. Um, Ice Ribbon, the one thing we haven't talked about is in the Peas Party show, they have been having the Peas League, uh, which is a round-robin tournament uh, determining the next challenger for the IWGQ title. Uh, it's two blocks of five currently. Uh, in the A block, Itsuki Aoki is leading with three points. Momokogo at two points, now Ishikawa at one point, and Yappy and Yuki Mashiro at zero points. And in the B block, Hanori Hana from Seedling and Rina Shingaki are tied at two points. Bani Okawa and Madeline are at one point, and Satsuki Totoro is at zero points. So that will continue happening on all of those Peas Party shows. Also, last night for free on YouTube, um, Ice Ribbon presented Tax Pro Wrestling, uh, which is a pro wrestling show where they teach you about doing your taxes. Um, they had a little tax mascot there. Um, the main event was for the uh, vacant Tax Pro Wrestling titles, uh, and it was the drop kickers of Sukasa Fujimoto and Sukushi against Risa Sarah and Suzu Suzuki. Uh, the rules were that. You had to uh, score a two-count fall and then correctly answer a question about doing your taxes. Um, it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of incorrect answers given. And like I said, it's for free on the Ice Ribbon YouTube, so worth checking out. I really enjoyed the show last night. Uh, Aaron, uh, caution, Diana had a show on February 14th. We're Luminous, the former tag champions. We're defeated again by Ayako Sato and Sakushi. Um, what, what an awful Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'm so sorry to, in two consecutive shows, have to have to bring you such bad news. Um, but I also wanted to talk about, they had a three-way um, main event, Jaguar Yokoto, Kairi Ito, and Andres Miyagi in the main event. It was a sort of very bizarre main event. The end saw uh, Miyagi got knocked down, was laying on the mat for quite a while. Ito went up to do a um, top rope move. Jaguar Yokota just sort of dragged Miyagi out of the way and pinned her um, very casually. It was a, just a very strange match. Andres Miyagi, it's been a strange um, 
number of years for her, and it's not entirely clear what's happening. Um, I know she's been in Actress Girls doing some things, but just sort of a str- just sort of strange to see her here um, in what I thought was sort of a confusing um, main event. Uh, Actress Girls came to the conclusion of the tag tournament. Maika Ozaki and Te Hanma defeated Kakaru Sekiguchi and Miku, Miku Aono for the tag titles. So that is the conclusion of that long-running tag tournament. Uh, Marvelous continues to uh, make headlines. Hibiki, we're going to talk more about Hibiki, returned on February 12th, returned with her black hair after she had dyed it uh, blonde as she turned heel. Um, And she came out after the main event, which was Chihiro Hashimoto defeating Mio Momono and Meiho Shizuki in a handicap match. She came out with blonde hair, uh, even though she had had dark hair previously on the show, and she cut a uh, promo on a megaphone. So it appears that this is still all part of the storyline um, of Hibiki sort of turning against Marvelous. So we'll see what comes of this. It's been a bit confusing where people were unsure whether it was real or not real, or they started doing it and then it appeared that it was not going to happen, and now it appears back on. So it'll be interesting to see the next Marvelous show, uh, what happens with that. Uh, And then something else to talk about, uh, Choco Pro had a big weekend, a sort of AEW weekend, uh, headlined by their big AEW special, Asuka and Emi Sakura versus the Best Bros with Hikaru Shida as the guest referee. Um, a show that was very good, got over a thousand live viewers, which is a great accomplishment and a match that I thought was excellent, worth going out of your way to see. And Aaron, I know that you also uh, really enjoyed that match. Yeah, it's, uh, if not my favorite, one of my top two matches of the year, for sure. I went uh, four and a half on it. Um Trying to look back at my notes, but like something that really stood out was just like, yes, May Saruga is good at everything, but she's especially good at emoting, uh, at, you know, selling. It's just the stuff that she can get across with her face. And it works particularly well in Choco Pro because, you know, the camera is up so close. So you can really, she can really get things across. Um, But yeah, it was an excellent match. Yeah, very good. And I was happy to see so many viewers because obviously the sort of the big draw that they were pushing was Karushido as the ref, which isn't quite the same as, you know, when Riho came back and wrestled in one of the matches. But I was glad to see um, so many viewers. And then on the following show, they did Emi Sakura and Mesa Ruga against Ryu Mizunami and Yuna Mizumori, which was another very good match. So both of those shows are definitely worth uh, going to YouTube and checking out. Hey, let, let me ask you this, Taylor. Yes. The Jonkin tournament. Yes. Is it a work? Is it a work? Am I getting worked? <sighs> Aaron, <laughs> it's, it's so funny you brought this up because many times I have wondered whether it is, whether or not it is. I can't believe that it would be. It just seems like such a strange thing to make into a into a work. Um, 
but is there a specific thing that happened that prompts you to think that it may have been a work? I'm just saying that uh, Sheeta won this one, although she was giving a given um, a bye to the finals, uh, but she did win. And, you know, when Riho showed up, she also won. So uh, I'm just, it's, it looks curious. That's all I'm saying. I could, some of them having seen, I believe every single one that they've done, some of them, appear clearly to not be um, worked. I mean, maybe they do do some where they're like, okay, just make sure you lose this one. So, you know, um, Hikaru Shida wins or something. Um, but I have to believe in my heart that they're, that they are not worked. Cause I think that that would be absolutely wild. If this tiny promotion in a, um, you know, Ichigawa chocolate square was working their uh, Jonkin tournaments um on youtube so i'll 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 keep the faith that they're not worked all right i respect that and that is the uh that is everything that happened over the last two weeks um and besides the budokan show also coming up in the next two weeks is the next assemble pro wrestling assemble show which is going to be on march 6th uh, the card is Marvelous is debuting their brand new rookie, um, Ai Hosan. Um, uh, she will be going up against Makoto Shindo in the first match. Um, the Sendai girls are sending a six-person tag, Chihiro Hashimoto, Kaneko Natsuho, and Kanon, uh, one of their newer wrestlers, against Mika Iwata, Manami, and Yurika Oka. Uh, Marvelous's official match on the show is Mio Momono and Rin Katakura against Mei Hoshizuki and Maria. That sounds like a really good match. Also, no Hibiki, so that will be something maybe to keep an eye out for. Uh, Pure J, Leon, and Raideen Hagane against Akari and Hanako Nakamori. Seedling, Nanai Takahashi and Hanori Hana against Arisa Nakajima and Riko Kaiju. Uh, Wave is sending a match, their first match on a Assemble show. Uh, Sakura Hirota against Yumi Oka, against Yuki Miyazaki, against Nagisa Nozaki. So a four-way match. That's pretty unique. I think the first one uh, that they've done in Assemble. The... uh, Freelance T-Hearts match, Yumika Hoda and Tsubasa Kuragaki and Riko Kawahata against Chikayo Nagashima, Makoto, and Asuka. And Stardom is sending another match, their second match on these Assemble shows. Starlight Kid and Mayu Iwatani against Momo Watanabe and Azumi. That should be a a good match. Um, Excited for that match. It will be interesting to see um, that will be the first stardom appearance after the Budokan show. So it will be interesting to see uh, what condition everyone is in. Stardom does have a few shows uh, before the Budokan show. They have a show on the 23rd of February and on the 27th. The 23rd has another Unagi uh, seven-match series match against B. Priestley. Uh, also has an Utami and Saya Kamatani teaming together 
to take on Himika and Micah, and Shuri and Natsupoi taking on Momo, Watanabe, and Azumi. Uh, the February 27th show has Julia against Saya Ida. That sounds like an interesting match. Uh, another Unagi match, uh, Unagi against Shuri, and Starlight Kid against B Priestley. And then the next show after the Budokan will be the Stardom Corican Hall show on March 7th. Um, that'll be interesting to see. Obviously, nothing announced for that show yet. I'm sure we will get that information as part of the fallout of the Budokan show. Uh, Seedling has a show coming up on the 26th. It will have Hanori Hana versus Riko Kaiju one-on-one. And the main event, a six-person tag, Nanai Takahashi, Arisa Nakajima, and Riko Kawahata against Makoto, Asuka, and Sukushi. Sounds like a good match. Um, it's also been reported that it is sort of a tryout um, audition match for Kawahata. She is part of T-Hearts, which seems at this point not to be an official promotion, but just sort of a collection of freelancers. So we'll be interesting to see if she becomes more of a regular fixture on seedling shows. Uh, Tokyo Joshi has a show on February 27th, but their next big shows are the tag finals, which are on that March 6th show. And then they have their third open rec pay-per-view, which is going to be a 12-on-12 match. I think they did one of those 12-on-12 matches very early on during the quarantine period, which was a lot of fun. So uh, worth checking out if you like that first match. Sendai Girls has some shows uh, coming up, still crossing over with Marvelous. Uh, on the 23rd, a junior title match, Meho Shizuki, who's the current champion, will take on Eureka Oka. And then... Dash Chizako and Mika Iwata against Mio Momono and Rin Katakura, which is part of that Road to Gaeaism uh, build. And then on their 20A show, Mika Iwata against Mei Hoshizuki as part of that same program. Uh, Ice Ribbon, their next show is the Yokohama Ribbon. As Aaron mentioned, Sakushi versus Thekla for the IWQ title will be on that show, a match that will be uh, certainly worth checking out. I'm really looking forward to that match. Diana has another dojo show on their YouTube um, that's highlighted by a Haruka Umasaki versus Rina Shingaki um, singles match. I'm really looking forward to that. I think Umasaki has been very good. Um, Marvelous has a show on the 26th. Hibiki is on that show taking on Meho Shizuki in a singles match. So something to keep your eye on there as that story continues. Wave, the next Regina DeWave title match um, is coming up on February 28th. Sakura Hirota will take on Kaoru. That should be a good match. And then Chaco Pro Season 5, uh, that AEW weekend was the end of Season 5. Season six starts next weekend, uh, and it will be interesting to see what the uh, the stories will be, how that season progresses now that they have passed the um, AEW tournament and everyone should be back. So that's something to keep your eyes on. So a lot going on in the next uh, two weeks of Joshi. 
Yeah, I would expect uh, the uh, Budokan show and probably if we hopefully we can get to them in time, the Tokyo Joshi Tag Finals, I would expect to be the main things we talk about. Uh, but I'm sure plenty of that other stuff will come up also. Yeah, another we've really gotten into uh, things are ramping up with really all the promotions. So a lot there's going to be a lot to talk about in the upcoming weeks and months. All right. Was well, there anything else you want to talk about before we go, Taylor? No, Aaron, as I say every week, we covered it all. <laughs> I just try to set you up to say your famous catchphrase. <laughs> all right. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at JBomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Uh, subscribe to the show. Give us a five star rating and review if you use the Apple Podcast app. Tell a friend. Uh, and you could donate at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Uh, but that'll be it for this week. We'll see you in about two weeks. Bye-bye.